Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Must Be the Place, the Building Science Podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Henderson. Each episode is a deep conversation with a carefully chosen peer about not just houses, but place. Yeah, of course we talk about houses and retrofits, but we also want to change the industry for the better, forever. Energy poverty, community engagement, industry disruption, societal responsibility, and climate change. It's all here and so much more. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to This Must Be the Place, the Building Science Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Henderson. I'm super excited today to be talking to Ian Scholten. He's the Program Director at Indigenous Clean Energy Social Enterprise, or ICE. Not the other ICE. This is a way better ICE. He's leading the Bringing It Home initiative, which is responsible for driving community-scale energy efficiency projects. He also leads ICE's social platform, the ICE Network the social platform for those working in the Indigenous clean energy space. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. You come with amazingly glowing and wonderful references from the illustrious Gail Waller. Yes, I'm, I'm glad. I, I, I pay her a lot for those glowing reviews. <laughs> Gail is great. I, I love her. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Oh, it's so nice to to, to have you folks on in our lives and and uh, and on the, uh, the podcast. So... Let's start with just telling me a little bit about your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing. Because we've never met. We've spoken a couple of times on the Mm -hmm. phone and via Zoom, and that's it. So, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, So, I mean, my background and how I got to where I was today is actually a fortune of circumstances, I I guess. Um, So I went to the University of Waterloo and studied a program there called Knowledge Integration. And that was a lot about design thinking, collaborative problem solving, how we get people from from different backgrounds to work together and uh, yeah, solve some of these really wicked problems that we have, like how do we get to net zero? How do we, I mean, we were talking about questions like that and when I was in school, but uh, yeah, very applicable to where we are now. Uh, but coming out, of, coming out of that program, I always thought that I'd work in some sort of like urban setting working with like urban planning or, or something like that. Um, but it was very fortunate to have the chance to, to connect with someone I actually went to school with, Aaron Stewart, who at the time was starting up the 2020 Catalyst program and looking for support. And so I, I came on and what started out as a part-time job, uh, it turned into six years later, um, still here and, and really fortunate to be a part of an organization that has grown immensely over the past, particularly the last three years, but over the past seven years to, to have national connections of indigenous people who are leading clean energy projects, uh, whether that's on the renewables front uh, or some of the emerging stuff around electric vehicles and, and uh, energy storage, or what I'm Mm -hmm. particularly interested in is this energy efficiency side of things. So, it kind of meandered, and along the way, I met Gail, and she sort of uh, lit the fire in me on on energy efficiency, and I haven't looked back since. Right on, right on. So I know you you mentioned the Catalyst program, and that's mm-hmm. another part of the Indigenous Clean Energy 
um, I don't know how to, what package? Uh, yeah. Our, our, one of the programs that we, we deliver here and it's actually our, our first program that we ever developed uh, and everything has grown out of that program. So the 2020 Catalyst program is a national clean energy capacity building program for indigenous people from all across the country. And really what we're trying to do is connect them with other indigenous leaders who have already gone through the process of developing projects so that they're learning from each other rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and, and things forward. And, and I'm really serious when I say it's really the, the first place for a lot of the work that we're doing today because, um, I mean, A, over the years, we've seen a big shift in the people who are coming into that program in terms of what they're interested in. So many more people now are coming in saying, oh, we want to do energy efficiency uh, because they see the connection that uh, this side of energy, clean energy has when it comes to improving housing conditions, health, livelihoods of of their communities. Um, mm -hmm. So we're seeing that grow. And then in terms of the work I'm doing now with energy efficiency is really trying to recreate what we've done with 2020 and bring together those shared learnings um, so that people can take energy efficiency forward faster. Because as I'm sure you're, you know, and I'm sure people on this podcast have said time and again, um, we need to get there faster and we need to start yeah. doing things faster. So how can we really accelerate that and get, get out of our own way? That's, yeah. That's yeah. the key. <laughs> yeah. Get out of exactly. our own way. And so that, that's what, uh, so the initiative you're working on bringing it home, that's, that's mm -hmm. this piece for energy efficiency. So can you expand a little bit about, about how that's working and what, like, what's the process? How do people get involved and yeah, what are for the sure. goals and aims? Yeah. So we started, uh, when we first started talking about energy efficiency in the catalyst program, uh, we kind of, we took people to high performance homes, talked about, uh, the house as a system, you know, Gail has been delivering a very brief condensed kind of building science house as a system, uh, uh, session for us for the past five years as part of the, the catalyst program. Uh, but we really wanted to say, okay, how do we take this further and actually do projects? And so we started looking around and saw that there are a lot of different indigenous communities who've done energy efficiency projects, but they tend to be either one off or they're not being replicated and, and scaled up kind of what we're, what we saw with renewable energy where people said, oh, well that community did it. So we'll, we'll do it the same way. Um, and so we launched bringing it home to really fill that gap and start bringing together all of that shared learning. So over the past two years, we, we launched the program straight into COVID. Uh, so we had grand visions of, of bringing people together in person, visiting communities. Uh, and we started off by working with five, what we call guide communities, really mm -hmm. to understand the process to say, here's what we're seeing and what we've learned. Can we apply it here? How does that work for you? Um, and those communities are First Nations, Métis, Inuit communities all across Canada. Um, where we're at today, though, is developing two programs. One, what we're calling a project accelerator, um, but still working out the name, but, but right now project accelerator sort of sticks, um, which is exactly that. It's taking the concept of what we see with 2020, where if you bring people together, really intensive training, but marrying it with actual funding to go out and 
start developing the project, start doing the, the feasibility to do community scale energy efficiency. Um, and that's really the key from our perspective is how do we move from doing one or two or 10 demonstration homes or small scale retrofits to doing deep retrofits on all the homes in the community. Great, um, great. And that's what we're really trying to drive forward there. The, yeah, the other program. This is a huge key. Yeah. This is, this is such a big need for us. I mean, that's, I'm doing some of this similar kind of work here in the Western region of, of Nova Scotia, where we're actually mm-hmm. looking at seven municipalities. Um, and how do we actually do municipal level deep energy retrofits? And yeah. Yeah, there's some big challenges there. Yeah, yeah, so so many, um, and for a, a lot of a lot of indigenous communities, we won't say all of them because h- how housing is managed and and delivered, and whether it's First Nations, Métis, or Inuit, there's always nuances. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, there's a big opportunity there because there's a bit more uh, community level control or ownership of housing. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to go in and say, okay, well, we'll provide this support. Plus there's just generally more of a community focus um, within the community to do things in a, in a collaborative way. Uh, so the opportunity and potential to, to hit scale is just, it's like right on, right on the tip of your time to, to take some action in that way. Well, that's really exciting. And I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of, what can what can the rest of us outside of those communities learn um, about process that is different from what has failed us for the last thirty years, where we're still in one-off, bespoke, um, yeah, you know, retrofits that are you know like really pretty shallow. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that's one of the things that I'm banging on. <laughs> My, I don't know my soapbox, my drum, my um, yeah, my wagon. I don't know, <laughs> yeah, all of the things. <laughs> um, for for several years now, I've been like, we need to pick up the pace. We need to get deeper energy. So it's yeah. super exciting to to hear that this is happening with um, you know communities having a lot of complaints because they were uh, you know somebody from some white person or maybe not a white person from Southern yeah. Canada came up and said, oh, here's what you should do and uh, see you later. Yeah. You know, it's been really um, the the amount of times that I have heard people say, oh, we're starting up this great idea. It's like, all right, well, maybe seeing as how this is the greatest idea that you talked about, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago, maybe it's not such a great idea. <laughs> Or yeah. the idea is, but the way you're performing it is different. Is not it's not sticking. Um, so, uh, um, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. It's I really housing to me is so really like a systemic problem uh, and challenge. Maybe mm-hmm. not a problem, mm-hmm. a challenge, uh, because for for communities, there's exactly what you just explained. Like so often, there's maybe a um, they don't have the capacity locally to be building and, and constructing their own homes. And so for rural, for remote communities where they have have to bring in a contractor, I've heard so many stories, it's it's heartbreaking um, of communities where 
yeah, they bring in a contractor and that contractor just wants to get the job done as fast as possible. And so they cut corners um, and, you know, like stuff as simple as baseboards not being installed properly. Like, mm. Mm. like that's the easy stuff. There's not to mention all the stuff around the, the house siding. Um, so many problems that come in from that perspective. So on the one hand, there's capacity building that's needed locally. Um, and then there's supporting communities to be involved and define what they what they see as, as housing um, to go mm-hmm. a bit beyond. Mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of people, uh, and we're, we're seeing this actually, um, Indigenous Services Canada with, I think it's Impact Canada, they launched the Indigenous Homes Innovation mm-hmm. Initiative. So we're lucky to be a, a part of that with bringing it home, developing, um, to helping uh, two communities develop net zero and net zero energy ready uh, single family and triplex units, as well as one community doing um, a net zero energy uh, community safe house for that, mm-hmm. the population that needs it in their, their community. Um, so it's exciting to see those happening, but kind of need to need to replicate that faster um, to move beyond just community gets X amount of money, which typically isn't enough to build the the quality of homes that we want to see. Basically supporting supporting communities to to move beyond because often people just kind of take whatever is is dealt to them and what's available or what again southern southern contractors are like selling to them. I've heard of communities who bought ready to move homes that end up being manufactured mm-hmm. in like Tennessee and they're being brought up right. here and just they can't even pass inspection. Um, yeah, yeah, and that was those are those are some of the things that I was was thinking about that that have been uh, you know there's been big issues with that kind of a, a take on on northern housing that's really it's really detrimental to everybody. Yeah, right. Um, but I think that, that some of the things that I I I, I know just from the the edges of talking with with Gail about the work that she's doing with you folks. But also, um, I had a conversation, I think, with you and the Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Chris, the um, director. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think a couple of other people, just when you were starting out um, with the, um, with your other initiatives, just when COVID hit. And, so, you know, I, I think that one of the big things that comes out of all of these discussions for me is that there needs to be this, the, the, the element of collaboration needs to be there, but also this understanding of why, not, not from the building science point of view so much, but the community have to be able to grab that or to create that why for themselves. And that's, then there's motive. I'm going to say, I'm using some words that I'm not sure if they're the, the right ones today, but then there's motive to actually hold it and say this is ours this is how we're going to move forward it i we understand it It it's culturally appropriate all of these things that that make it so that you know the 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 communities you're working with can literally get out of their own way and get everybody else out of their way yeah yeah and you see that so uh new hulk nation in nbc uh, is a story that gets told time and time again because it's a, a great example so they're uh 
under the, the helm of Richard Hall, who is a longtime Red Seal carpenter, housing inspector for CMHC, but he's from New Hawk Nation and he came back to this community and um, created that vision. They created uh, local jobs. They brought an apprenticeship program to the community. They developed their own spec booklet with uh, with support from RDH, the, the big building science mm-hmm. firm. Um, and so now that's that's how they're building housing and there's they've started up a sawmill so they're creating local local economy um but it's exactly what you're saying it's it's community-led and that's mm-hmm. that's at the heart of everything we do at at ice is about empowering the community to be they'll be not just the receiver mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, fully agree with with that perspective of um having it start at the community to see their vision um, realized. I don't have another, I've got a couple of questions for you that, um, that relate to you coming in from the outside to being, to, to these, these, these communities. And what's the most important thing that you've learned from connecting with indigenous leaders? I think the, the nice part about the work that we've been doing, we built it off of, 2020. So a lot of the communities that we're working with right now, uh, we have the relationship with community members. Um, but the biggest thing that I think I can't speak for every community, but that I hear the most often is it's just listening and and coming in from a perspective of not that you have the answers, but that you're there to help them do what they want to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest part with uh, whether you're talking about reconciliation or climate action, it's, it's putting the, the community first, taking the time to listen and, and understand the history. Um, so it's talking with elders, it's talking with youth. And sometimes that's, that's been really challenging, especially over COVID to, to make those connections. But uh, I think that's really the most important thing. Uh, is not coming in with ideas, but coming in with ears, really. Ears. That's one of the big things for me when I was uh, in my uh, early 20s. I I was uh, supporting uh, the Nishamnath folks who uh, were trying to stop the clear cutting on uh, Lockwood Sandler. Yeah. I, I can't remember the, the Mears Island, there, Mears Island. Yeah. And there was a bunch of folks that I was there with. And um, when we met with uh, the elders, um, we're like, you know, all ready for action. What can we do? I'll do anything. And they said, excellent. Don't do anything. Don't do nothing until we ask you. Thank you for being there. And and it was hard for 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 some folks. To take that in, and mm-hmm. um, it was very much an ego bruising thing <laughs> for, for some folks. So, okay, that would make sense. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you want, but I'm here. Mm-hmm. So let me know what you need. And and it and it and it has kind of carried me through a lot of my uh, well, my whole career, um, and not being somebody who's like, well, I can fix something for you, as opposed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, flipping that around and saying. I have a lot of information in here that I can I can help you with all sorts of things, but I don't know what you need and I don't know yeah. what you want. 
instead of me dictating it. Um, I mean, I can do that just at a technical level, but before we get there, that's, you know, you really need to know the lay of, of the land, so to speak, and and hear and get a sense of how the community is. Yeah, yeah, and and where their priorities lie. You know, there's like even if you look at at housing, uh, the example I shared there, the new hall, they were really intentional intentional about creating local employment and maximizing everything locally. You know, there might be a community where they're not struggling with employment. And so creating more local jobs isn't necessary. They just need to build housing faster. And so maybe that, that opens up different doors of what kind of housing. Maybe you're looking more at, at prefab where there's less mm-hmm. direct local benefit, but the housing gets built as just as high quality, if not higher, um, in a faster time. Um, right. And that's something... Uh, one of the the folks that we work with, he's actually going to the cattle's program right now, but his name's Alex Cook, and he's up in, in Baker Lake in Nunavut um, working on high-performance housing. Like, he's striving for net zero in, in the Arctic. And for him, he's dealing exactly with this of, like, the constraints of local economies, the quality of the construction. And so he... As it as his first like demonstration home, he's building a, a cabin. So a lot of people in in Nunavut have cabins out on the land, and oftentimes they're kind of like they're piecemeal together. Uh, but he went in and he decided to go with a, a SIP construction, mm-hmm. um, and he's building it all basically himself with a few few folks from town, and it's it's incredible. Like this building that he's done, uh, he was telling me about in I'm gonna say like. Marked. It was it was minus ten outside, and it was plus ten inside his cabin, with no extra heat on. It was all just passive solar gains. Uh, right on. And so it's it's incredible to see this. And this is an Anuk from from Nunavut, figuring it all out as he goes. Um, but this is his recognition of where they're building, um, they're building and construction. Uh, I'll call it infrastructure, the kind of like social infrastructure, the number of jobs people working uh, is that in Nunavut. And this is the solution that he's identified to be able to build high quality homes quickly, um, recognizing the constraints that they might have around building. Right. And, yeah. right. and then there's, there's also just material supply as well. If you don't have stocks yeah. around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Essentially, building it, you know, bringing in flat pack housing in the form of, of SIPS panels is is pretty ideal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of it. He he can go on it at length. You know, maybe an, on a future show, I'd highly encourage you to reach him up, reach out to him. But yeah, it, it's yeah, it's really incredible to see that work, and that's all just locally rooted, and he can see where the growth um, can be. Uh, yeah, in terms of vocational trades, actual like fully red sealed carpenters, all of those things. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fantastic. I would love that. I'll, I'll get all the 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 information, yeah. the contact information you at the, yeah, for sure. after we finish up here. But uh, mm-hmm. and we know that um, you know, <laughs> indigenous or uh, 
on the forefront of experiencing climate change and and so the, the there's you know the the people who know that there's not a lot of time are mm-hmm. are in those leadership roles as well i'm I'm sure yeah very much very much so yeah and you're experiencing so many different changes too from like whether it's wind patterns or if you're in the north like permafrost melting and the the shifts that that has on on home so people are looking at like different foundation types and and things that respond more effectively and that's like in the work that we do i we use the words energy efficiency a lot and probably more than we even should because um this like it's so much more than that and if you just Mm -hmm. you just focus on the energy efficiency side then you might neglect all of the other um pieces around health and durability and and local economies and and things like that so uh i've been trying to use like high performance building a lot more so that it encompasses those other dimensions um and that includes being culturally responsive and and climatically responsive. Um, right. But then that kind of conversation for a lot of communities talking about housing in that way doesn't necessarily open all the the doors that they need when it comes to funding or fitting within different like financing programs. Those those aspects because it's hard to quantify health. It's hard to quantify durability um to a certain extent i think it probably doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to seem but Mm -hmm. uh, that's the reality (laughs) where we're at right now yeah 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 Yeah. well we built that old way and it ran it out five years so we're not going to do that we're going to yeah something that's a little bit better than five years okay yeah give us exactly i mean that's (laughs) that's like um, the 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 short version of it yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, and so when you're talking to folks or when you're working on these these projects and these initiatives, um, it's, and this is just an aside question, it's probably already in your your mix of things, uh, resiliency in terms of um, you, you know houses being uh, more resilient to weather change and 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 climate change is that is that also part of the mix in terms of what you're discussing with communities? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And we're we're actually working on something that tries to marry a bit of the like retrofit and climate resilience, some sort of guide. And there's there's work that's been done out there. Um, the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction has a lot of great like um, like home occupant friendly resources on how to make your house more climate resilient. But I think it's such an important part where if we're going to go in and do deep energy retrofits. What else can we do to make that house more climate resilient? If you're if you're building in a place that you know is going to experience more and more forest fires, well, what kind of insulation are you choosing to wrap around the building? You know, maybe mm-hmm. you could, that that puts you towards a mineral wool because you know it's super fire resistant, um, right. and then the cladding that you're putting over top. Board. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. thinking yeah. about these yeah. things. Where you're well, and then, doing it. Yeah. And I know yeah. that here in Nova Scotia, I've had several different design clients who have all of this information from the Florida Hurricane Center that, about wind resistance. Mm-hmm. I want all of this in my house. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so those kinds of things. And, and again, it's not, it's, we don't have to necessarily discover all of this stuff. It's mm-hmm. already out there in different ways. We just have to make it, if, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in terms of wind that's going to work regardless of where you are. Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff that's going to work in terms of fire. Um, and the only difference is, is that in Florida, you don't need to deal with as much insulation as you would in Nunavut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's, I mean, even in Nunavut, it's interesting to see, like, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to visit there before, but um, not yet. Most of their, so most of their new homes that they build, they don't have any overhangs. Uh, mm-hmm. Because exactly that, because they have massive amounts of wind that come up. And apparently that's one of the things that gets caught underneath right. and will lift. And yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, I was talking to to someone uh, a couple of weeks ago and they said that that happened to his grandpa's house where the roof actually got like blown and lifted off the, wow. the house. And that's so, in- that's so interesting too, because you have the, the conundrum of, okay, so the house isn't going to blow apart. But if we don't have any overhangs, how are we protecting the wall system? I mean, well, it's, this, like there's a lot more building science and thought that has to go into things once you start peeling back uh, overhangs. And then also, um, you know, how do you build porches for people so they can be sheltered as they're coming in the door and yeah. in and out of houses? Yeah. Yeah. And and I definitely don't uh, don't pretend that I'm a building science expert, but what was explained to me was that in Nunavut they don't worry as much about they don't have to worry as much about that because they don't get as much like hard rainfall precipitation. Oh, okay. Um, and so like water shedding, because most of the precipitation comes as uh, snow, and so for them this trade off was was a good one. Um, but again, and that's, that leads into this whole other element where so many communities want to see like locally relevant climate, like housing specific to their climate zones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and which then opens another kind of can of worms of how do we support that? And I've talked to a few people who are like trying to work out ways to, to build, um, kind of guidelines for the community because ultimately if you're still reliant on national building code or whatever that gets turned into in, in a provincial setting, um, depending on which province you're in, that's designed for like middle ground. And so how does that, how does that reflect locally uh, to go beyond? And that opens up this whole other can of words of, well, you know, how's an com- individual community member expected to know like, the building science behind it. And so how do we build those, the supports ways, and resources? Yeah. Uh, and I know, I do you know that the First Nations National Building Officers Association, they're coming out with a Northern, a Northern building guide is what they've called it, but apparently it has like uh, different sections for each Northern zone, I'll call it, like one for Yukon, one for Northwest Territories. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting, and and yeah, how you slice and dice it, it it depends and matters to each each community individually. But just getting more of these resources out there, and I think that's a big part of how we can support this to move forward. Is 
making it so that communities aren't having to reinvent the wheel so many times. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I look at it and there's, I, I'm someone who loves to do the research and explore and be on the kind of like the cutting edge of what's, what's happening and, and what kind of techniques are out there. But ultimately we have to keep it simple and rather than putting a whole buffet of options out, do kind of like a, a tasting menu almost. Yeah. Here's, and, here's and, the set and, course. Yeah. I think there's a difference between, you know, there, there's a, a level where we absolutely need to be sort of at, at the first principles piece, right? So we understand the building science. There's that, that level of, there's a, there's a depth that has to happen there, but that doesn't have to translate all the way back out into the, into the community or into the individual builder either. What we need to know yeah. is you need to make these choices because the building science says so. Essentially. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. be able to supply the background material, but no, you know, that we're, otherwise we're talking about a whole friggin' industry that becomes a bunch of unicorns and that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm just going to have that depth of knowledge. Like I've, you know, I spent 30 years getting to the place where I'm at in terms of my knowledge. I'm not going to yeah. be very useful in, in terms of, you know, moving out into many communities. If I keep mm -hmm. it all in my head, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or or working just my community, that's not helpful. So yeah, yeah. so exactly. so you you're talking about um, simplification of options or uh, almost like packages that will allow us yeah. to scale. Yeah, that's that's kind of my sense, and I I know there's a lot of different different I'll say schools of thought on on how how we can get to scale I mean you have the whole energy sprung approach mm -hmm. of uh, of wrapping buildings um, but I really I think for especially for the indigenous communities that I've worked with if we look at something like greener homes or anytime you do like energy audits where you get back if you do it on an individual home basis, and then you treat each home individually, it's really hard to to scale up. And actually, I get a lot of my inspiration from the work that Gail Lawler has been involved with on through conservation on the coast. The three First Nation communities there with support of IEA. So uh, on the can you can you clarify where that is on the coast? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um no, that's okay. so this is in Ontario. There were the utility mandated conservation programs. Um, and so there's a group of communities on the coast of James Bay, which if you ever look at a map of Canada, you'll see Hudson's Bay. And there's almost like a, a little a little handle at the bottom. That's James mm -hmm. Bay. Um, and so it's it's a group of communities there who uh, I think I'm going to say like late 90s, early 2000s built their own transmission line. So they have their own utilities. And so when the electricity system operator in Ontario mandated conservation programs from each utility and gave, gave them funding to do that, these communities looked at it and said, well, rather than hand out a bunch of light bulbs on an individual basis or make something available to community members, we're going to do deeper energy retrofits. And so there wasn't the full thing. They weren't changing out furnaces or, or anything like that, mm -hmm. but um, they were removing the siding, adding, uh, like doing some re-air sealing, 
and adding, I think it was an inch and a half of, of insulation, air sealing their crawl spaces and adding an HRV. And so to me, that's kind of the approach that we need to get to is rather than dealing with, with really nuances of each home, if we can say, okay, we have a general idea of like, here's the common challenges that all these homes face. Okay. We are going to work our way through adding insulation to each one. This is kind of the specification. Maybe it's swapping out furnaces if a furnace is older than X or Y or C years or in mm. whatever condition, but really getting to a package because then that allows you to do uh, achieve scale in two respects. One, from a quantity perspective, you can approach a business uh, like one of the manufacturers. Uh, yeah, so you can uh, get volumes, volumes. You get volume, or volume sales. sales. Exactly. Um, but then also for work crews in the community, they now get into a process of how this is done and become more efficient at doing it. And so they get done, can get done a bit faster with a bit more quality. And so, and I was just going to say one of the cool things about that and about retrofit work is that it is really sustainable because you have a certain number of people in the community, whether, you know, regardless of where that community is, there's a certain number of people you can't really outsource much of the work Mm -hmm. and so you step into here's here's the houses that we can do now these houses need this the siding replaced these houses need their um furnaces replaced and hopefully they're being replaced with something like oh i don't know cold climate high high efficiency cold climate air source heat plant um and we're going to do this this and this and those folks in that in that workforce then can have a, um, you know, basically moving through all the houses in the community. And by the time you finish up with the newest houses that, that, you know, you start out with the old houses, you end up with uh, doing more work on new houses over a period of time. And then you can cycle back to the first houses you did or the houses that when you did the exterior retrofit, they didn't need to have their mechanical systems replaced. Yeah, but now you're three or four or five years down the road, and now it's time to do that. So now you have this yeah. whole lovely cycle of just moving through the houses, and then ten years from now, who knows what's going to be out there in terms of better efficiency or innovative materials or or equipment? There's yeah. another round of it. You know, are we going to then put renewables on the on the in the into the mix? Yeah. So so you can actually create logical roadmaps of packages of improvements as opposed to the sort of the piecemeal well let's do some light bulbs and we'll yeah. do your fridge and we'll put you know <laughs> exactly it's like but, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head uh, i couldn't agree more um, yeah and and that's i think two two things that we've heard from communities we're actually doing some research right now for natural resources canada on barriers to energy efficiency uptake but that's one of the things that we've heard when it comes to people pursuing careers in energy efficiency, particularly in indigenous communities, they need to see like a career path mm-hmm, if they're going to mm-hmm. make that transition. And so by doing this on scale at the community level, it becomes, uh, you know, this is going to be a 10 year project. Okay, great. Yeah. That's the 10 year career that you can now get people 
who can get their trade certificate in, you know, HVAC equipment and, and so they can do heat pump installation. So you're building up that local force rather than, like you said, dealing at piecemeal. Um, and the other part to that that we've heard is a lot of community members get tired of people coming in and out of their house. It's like, oh, you didn't you just do the energy efficiency thing? Why, did, why are you back here? We already, we are, you, you already gave us the the LEDs and, you know, right. whatever this yeah. like. I, 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 yeah. I make a really big distinction between things that are energy efficiency or energy efficient products and, and, uh, mm. and equipment and energy yeah. conservation measures. There's a fast different, like there's a mm-hmm. gaping yawning abyss between those two things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they get mashed together and, uh, and then they, and then you do have people like, oh, really? You're back? You want me to do what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People thinking, oh, yeah. we've, we've like done all we can. I also, yeah. I, this was another thing that I picked up. I was, so we were in a Halloween, um, in mid-July with the 2020 Catalyst program. And we got a tour of their, uh, I think it's the Arctic College, uh, a residence there mm-hmm. in the town. And they've just done a, a fairly significant, like deep energy retrofit, replacing equipment in the kitchen, like fans and equipment in the kitchen. I think they added insulation to the exterior. Um, but what I thought was interesting a lot of the times when we're looking at this, there are certain measures that just don't have a, like, I'll say a financial payback. Let's, let's mm-hmm. do it that way. You know, if, if you're going to go from something, often it's like windows. They have like a really long payback period in a lot of cases. Right. But what I thought was interesting here was they packaged it all together. So let's say, um, I don't know, let's say it was like a $1 million retrofit that they did. Um, they had measures on there and we, they like shared the list of everything that they did and their, their payback periods. And they had measures on there that were like 50, 60 years before they saw a payback. But by bundling it together as one there you go. deep energy retrofit, their net payback was 12 years because yeah. some of the measures like LED light bulbs are often a good like, yeah, if you're going from incandescent to LED, you're going to save a lot of energy, you save a lot of cost. Uh, oh, and especially in a college or, or a, a non-residential situation where you have lights mm-hmm. on 24-7. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. by packaging together, now the whole package made financial sense. And that's, again, why I think we got to move to to sort of package-based rather than yeah. one-off um, independent things and well, and to consider that 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 you know, yes, houses are all different, and people all use houses differently, and um, you know, and there's a lot of variation. Yeah, but the variation is just on a theme. Yeah, it's not. It's not like. <laughs> um, it's not like comparing two completely different species of animal. Exactly. It's 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 a it's a variation on a theme, so we can we can with some some caveats actually make those packages. And I think that that's, for me, has been, uh, you know, that's really where, where we need to go, both for retrofit and for new construction. Yeah. Um, and really 
be able to move things forward with, you know, like there's, I don't know how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the country who could, who could easily and without a lot of brain power frame a house. Right. I mean, not, I mean, I don't mean brain power. They have brain power, but not without a lot of, with a, you know, they've got enough experience yep. to frame a house easily. Yeah. Now you just need to get the rest of the people in there who can do the work to take the buildings up to high performance levels as opposed mm-hmm. to this one-off piece. And yeah, the, the, the low hanging fruit picking the, the things with the, uh, the, the short paybacks or fast paybacks is, is really, that's part of a whole demand side management um, mm-hmm. uh, recovery aspect. Yeah. But I also wanted to say something about, you know, the fact that we, we look at windows and say they're not a good investment. We're only, or we're only, if we're looking at energy in, energy out, windows are always going to be shit, right? Because they're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're the leakiest, they're the worst part of the building. They're going to be the leakiest yeah. wink. Le- leakiest wink. <laughs> the weakest wink. And then, but we only have one chance every 20-ish years to change yeah. them. So yeah. it's a generational change. It's not something that you should just say, oh, well, I'm going to leave those as they are without doing anything to improve them. You don't have to necessarily replace them. There's a bunch yeah. of things you could, options there. And the same with, with siding. Like when there's a house, and this is, I'm banging on this drum all the time. I know for all, everybody all the time. to the last 20, 25, 30, 40 episodes, I'm banging yeah. on this drum. Do not put siding over your sheathing. Put some insulation over your sheathing yeah. and then some sliding over that. Yeah. And that's... It's just like the crazy, like, generational loss it, of opportunity there. It just makes me, like, well, I'm going to repeat it forever, yeah. podcast <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it, uh, I'm, I'm right there in your boat. I mean, so I live in Treaty 7 territory in, in Canmore, uh, Alberta, and... I drive around here and there's so much new construction going on and it kills me to see all of these homes, all of these like condo buildings going up with no exterior insulation. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we, it, a lot of people, we were looking at like the pipelines and things and we talk about uh, carbon lock-in. So making these investments into um, fossil fuel-based generating or infrastructure i look at housing and whenever we're putting up housing that doesn't have exterior insulation i'm like that's just another form of of carbon lock-in like and and it it comes it comes back to that why i think this packaging and becoming and just like simplifying everything is important like taking some options just generally off the table or or making that making certain things just standard is like you said there's a ton of people like hugely accomplished very experienced uh trades people who can build a house and they can do that because it's the same building technique yeah. over and over again and so if we just say well now you're add going to in. add this piece in <laughs> it might take them two or three houses but then they got it figured out and yeah yeah, and that learning curve, I mean, for, for a lot of uh, independent, you know, small builders, that's tough. That mm-hmm. learning curve is yeah. tough because it's like, you know, they don't have great margins anyway. 
So when we're talking about program design and financing and funding, there also has to be that piece there, not as demonstration houses, but more yeah. like, um, uh, what do they call it? I think it's, I, Doug Terry has used the term discovery house. Mm. I love that idea where, where your crew is going to come in and you're going to discover where the, where the, the weak points are in your process when you put something else new into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I really like that, that idea. Um, and, and then we can, we can see if we can document that, then we have sort of a roadmap for, oh, your, your crews are, are, you know, your, your crews having a challenge with this part of this, this specific process or installation piece. Here's a whole bunch of other people who had a similar kind of issue. Yep. And here's what they did about it. The other thing that allows us to do is say, hmm, lots of people are having exactly the same issue here. So how do we improve that process? Yeah. So that we're not always banging our heads against the ball and making the workaround. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting to see, I mean, I follow some like high performance builders on, on Instagram, which highly encourage everyone to do just because it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see the work that they've done. But there's a group of them that are on tour in, in Europe right now. And yeah, there's, there are um, companies who are building those solutions. So like air sealing around protrusions in a wall, you know, whether you're doing it with like caulking or tape. And now this company's called come out with like a rubber gasket that slides on for any, any mm-hmm. size hole. And okay, now we're just like making it easier for people. So I definitely think there's still innovation to happen and, and things to make it yeah, even easier definitely. for, yeah. for, for, for companies and contractors to do it. But, um, yeah, I think. But we have to, well, we have to work with the people who are in the field to know mm-hmm. what those are, because in theory, you could do this, this, and this X, Y, Z yeah. on your new build. But if you don't have the feedback from the field that says, oh, great idea. We love this product. But, you know, like we, I could probably count about 20 different products that I've seen over the years that go nowhere because it doesn't quite hit the mark because there's crappy yeah. marketing um, yeah. or there's the, like it was just a, it's an engineered solution to a way simpler product problem. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Uh, there's so many, so many things. And uh, even just like when you talk about the marketing side, sometimes it's like, companies don't know about the options that exist. And mm-hmm. you know, when I look at the barriers that a lot of indigenous communities face, a lot of indigenous contractors face already to just getting into the market and getting them all rolling within their community, trying to just build houses that meet code. Um, and, and then I look at in the non-indigenous world where there's uh, like a, Actually, personal example from here in, in Canmore, um, I was trying to replace my heating system and add in a cold climate heat pump. And I called three three or four different uh, plumbing and heating companies in town. And none of them none of them dealt with cold climate heat pumps. One of them one of them said that's more of an eastern thing, which is just like a, a, a I love that quote, like what, is, what does that mean? Also, like, there's a ton of them in BC right now. So, like, you're just kind of sandwiched between them. Um, 
one one person had worked with heat pumps, but when I asked him like what temperature is operated down to, he said zero degrees. And I said, is that Fahrenheit? He said, no, Celsius. So like works with heat pumps, but doesn't know that there's cold climate heat pumps. So right. yeah. when I look at that, there's like just more education that needs to go out about the solutions that we already have so that we can start using them. And there's been some good examples in that people have shared when it comes to some indigenous training. So in, in BC, like the Fraser Basin Council has run um, what they call train the trainer programs. There's a great trades program that was happening at Chiacomus, which is a, a just actually a retreat center, but they engage um, marginalized groups. And, and actually, like, I think it was a, a women-centered trades program to retrofit a cabin. So we're starting to, to engage and teach people. But yeah, there's, you know, if there's easy access here and people don't know about it, when you're talking about more rural, remote communities, it's, there's a lot of information out that needs to, needs to happen. Yeah. I have two questions I usually ask people at the end of the show. I'm going to modify them a little bit because you said okay. I'm not a building science person so much. Yeah. But you can answer this um, in, the, in the same in the same vein. So what's your all-time favorite nerdy, delightful thing about building science slash energy efficiency slash energy conservation slash high-performance housing? Uh, my all-time nerdy favorite thing. There's so many things. Like, I could go way overboard. Uh, but, I, I mean, ultimately, like, it goes back to it's not even nerdy. I think it's just the, the impact that it can have. Um, we talk about something called, we like a, we use a term called healthy energy living uh, to describe like the potential impact of of energy efficiency and for me that's that's the biggest thing is that energy efficiency is not the end goal but is a means to give people healthy homes which affects like mental health physical health uh, we can create jobs and careers off of it we can create local economies off of it and we're taking action on climate, like, oh, it just, yeah. it, it's like, it, so not at all on the building science side, but it is, it's, well, it's know, every, it's, everything coming it is. together. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's definitely on the building science side of things, because if you don't do that properly, you're screwed. Yeah. Um, and you can't meet any exactly. of those goals. So, exactly. so we'll, 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 we'll take it for as a win for <laughs> building science, but it's uh, obviously that building science is not going to be holding. And yeah. No matter how much I try and make it that way. Um, but it, but it, okay. Like, question number two. You're, you're totally right. It, it is, and um, yeah, it gets me really, it gets me really excited thinking about it because I think of how big of an impact it can have on people, like affordability and yeah. comfort to be in your house, like yeah, and wealth, well, and yeah, um, yeah, being able to stay in your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those things are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Second question. What building science BS or myth or stereotype drives you crazy? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think you've, you've talked about a few of them already, but. That is a tough one. I feel like I'm, I feel like I get uh, excited and I quickly like jam out of my brain the the myths that happened but i think actually i i heard it uh said really well one time i think again it's like just on someone i follow on instagram but 
And I'm sure many and many of people have said this very concretely, but the whole, um, like the house has to breathe and like, (laughs) yeah, really, really simple things. Um, but I heard someone in response, A, there's like the analogy of thinking about your skin, like your body as a house and like, no, I don't want to breathe through my skin. Um, but that, that you want to control how the house breathes and the house has to dry. That was a, mm-hmm. a good, sure. yeah. a good addition. That's the one. I, that's all, that's my thing is the, the house doesn't have to breathe. The house has to dry. Yeah, exactly. And it has to dry one way or t'other. It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to dry in one direction. Yeah. yeah that's my big thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, and that's my, that's probably my biggest bug there too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and that's like, I, I feel very lucky because I am, like I said, I didn't go to school for building science. Uh, I would love to keep taking some like formal education on it, but just learning and picking up things along the way is just so, it's, it's incredible. There's so much to learn and so many things about how it impacts you. You know, I was sitting in on a, on a Passive House Canada course and they were talking about as we look at climate change and like, CO2 rising in our outside environment. That's just like another reason that it's important to have an airtight house because now you can control how that air is like being exchanged and um, what air is coming in. The any contaminants in the air when you talk about forest fires, like yeah, all, et cetera. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I love how much how much there is. For for a person who likes to research things, that's it's very good for me. I think, I think Ian, I think you and I could spend an awful lot of time chatting about yeah, all the cool yeah. things that we're finding out. Yeah. <laughs> and then things move, the true. rabbit holes we dive down. Yeah. Um, but that's all the time we've got for today. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming in today and then uh, talking with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me uh, anytime. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to see even more indigenous communities take take this leadership role and and they they want to go so the yeah. the time is now and everything well, getting out of our own way excellent well that's it for our episode today so thanks so much for tuning in and thanks again ian and we'll talk to you soon thank you for tuning in this episode was produced by blue house energy podcast atlantic and tanya media subscribe and don't miss an episode leave a comment we'd love to hear from you Until next time.